You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. I'd like to invite Mike Riley to come forward. Mike is one of our missionaries, uh, beloved missionary here at our church. And uh, just by way of introduction, got to have some breakfast with him yesterday and catch up. And the man loves his waffles, which is, you know, good. <laughs> Uh, but but one, thing, one thing about Mike that, that has always stood out to me, and it was just affirmed even yesterday as we got to meet, it was Jesus said in Matthew 9, or, or excuse me, Matthew 9 says, referring to Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And there's no doubt Mike is the type of guy that not only looks on people with compassion, but is willing to be the answer to that call. So without further ado, Mike Riley, everybody. I think I'm on. You can hear me all right? Okay. Uh, First of all, worship team, that was awesome. Um, It it was honestly an honor to be here and hear that. Because one of the things you miss when you're overseas is that. Amazing worship like that. So it was just, it was just great to, to hear that and be a part of that. Um, you, you have to forgive me. I'm here alone. So we took like the worst part of the Riley family and sent him out here. My wife and kids are in Arizona. My kids already started school. We're here, going to be in the States for, uh, for a year. After 10 years in Thailand, we realized that we had only spent a total of six months back in the States. And we felt it. <laughs> we, we, we felt it. We missed our Fruit Loops, and uh, so um, we decided. Hey, someone likes Fruit Loops over there. Someone laughed hard at that. I'm gonna have to keep that joke. I'm gonna have to remember that one. Um, and so they're out in Arizona. So I wanted to show you a picture real quick of my kids because the last time you would have seen them, they did not look like this. Uh, that's my little girl Susie. She's not so little anymore. She's in seventh grade. She's twelve. Uh, she is our social butterfly, and I think her main hobby in life is talking incessantly. Because that's what she does, and she's really good at it. Um, uh, my son, there, <laughs> he is 14, and you're, I don't know if you'll struggle to believe this. I struggle to believe it. He's 14, and he's almost six foot four. Yeah, he's a giant. I don't know what happened. I don't know what it, what it is about the water in Thailand, um, but... Um, He'll kill me for saying this. He's wearing a mask. I used to think he was just really into the CDC, but I think his oral hygiene isn't so great, and he didn't want mom and dad to know he doesn't brush his teeth as much as we want to. And so he wore the mask for the picture. But um, he's a good kid. He loves basketball. Both are doing well adjusting to their new school. Uh, Daniela, you'll see a picture of her uh, coming up. She's been working hard uh, in, in our ministry using agriculture as a way to reach out to Muslims uh, especially, believe it or not, coffee. She, she has studied coffee and coffee business and uses that as a way to get into Muslim villages. And, yeah, that's her there. Um, the, the blonde one. <laughs> not the other one. That's not Daniela. Um, but, uh, so she is doing amazing. You'll, you'll see some more pictures of her um, coming up. And the update on me is just that I'm, I'm getting old. That's really... That's really the only update. And now I have to use glasses to preach, uh, which doesn't bother me as much. Losing my eyesight doesn't bother me as much. I'll tell you what bothers me is back a while ago, my daughter, the one who won't stop talking, 
uh, said something to me, and I couldn't hear. So I said, what was that? And she repeated it, and I said, what? I, I didn't hear you. She said it again, so I was like, wait a second. Now, what'd you say? <laughs> and, and she just kind of looked at me and shook her head and walked away. And so I'm more concerned that I'm losing my mind than my eyesight, but whatever, you know. My mind was never really my best attribute to begin with. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be basing ourselves out of this morning. And what I have up here on the screen, this is what I really want you to walk away with today. If you remember nothing about what I say today, that's fine. But try and remember this. The key idea, God waits in desolate places with his kingdom plan. Now, I'm going to explain that, and we're going to use a bit of Acts chapter 8 in order to explain it. As I'm explaining it, hopefully we're going to input some stories from the field so you can understand what's going on. Um, the reason I wanted to do this was because uh, us, the Rileys, we've had kind of a mixed bag experience, right, overseas. If you know our story, you know that we work for a group called Partners Relief and Development, and we focus on spreading God's love and God's message to oppressed Muslims. That has always been uh, my heart. That's always been Daniela's heart. And that is partner's heart as well. So we specifically do it now in conflict zones, in war zones. We do it in Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, in the middle of the civil war there. And then I personally do it in Iraq and Syria, uh, where there are civil wars ongoing. And the reason we do that is because of hope. We do it because of hope. Not because of conflict, not because of war, but because of hope. Now, I'll explain that a little, uh, a little more as we move on, because it doesn't feel like a very hopeful world right now, does it? Um, I don't know if you've heard of COVID. That was sarcastic. Uh, it's ra it just seems like it's ravaging everything. And, and in the middle of COVID, you have earthquakes in Haiti. And you have trouble in Afghanistan. And you have civil war in Syria. And you have upheaval in Venezuela. And you start to think to yourself, <laughs> I thought there was supposed to be hope. And so a line like this, God waits in desolate places with his kingdom plan, seems sketchy. But if we look at Acts chapter 2, go ahead to the next slide, please. Um, we're going to find a lot of desolation, but we're going to find hope in this. If you know the story of Acts chapter 8, um, the second half of that chapter is the story of Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. And I'm going to read just the, the beginning verses to that, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here's a key line. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. Now, we'll leave it there for now, because here's what I find interesting. My theology, my belief is that if Scripture points something out, 
there's something important in it in what it pointed out. It, it doesn't just give us random facts for the sake of random facts, right? And so as we're reading this, we find out that this Ethiopian eunuch is traveling from Jerusalem. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'm not going to explain that. But thank God Pastor Dave has agreed to explain it to anybody who has questions about that after. So please see him, and uh, he'll explain it. He'll explain it to you. But this Ethiopian eunuch is traveling, right? He, he obviously was an important man in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is 2,300 miles from Jerusalem. And here he is, he's traveling back from having been to Jerusalem to worship. And there's some things that stick out to me about this. First of all, he's a eunuch. And according to Deuteronomy 23, he can't actually go into the temple. He can't go into the temple and worship. Now, I'm not a betting man. But what that makes me wonder is if he got to Jerusalem and didn't get to do what he was hoping to do. Here's a man who obviously thought that in his life, in his need, he needed to go 2,000-some miles. I don't know if it was by ship. I don't know if he, he took the, the local train. I don't know what he did. But that's a long way in first century. There's something in this eunuch that felt a tremendous need to go to Jerusalem. But he may have been turned away at the door. He may have been turned away at the door. And now he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and God obviously thinks this man needs one of my people. He needs Philip. So he sends Philip on the road, and Philip is on the road and hears him reading, catches up with the chariot, and says, do you need help? Now here's an amazing little fact, and this is going to play into it. If you look back in chapter 7, we can assume that Philip himself was not exactly having the best times of his life. In chapter 7, one of his closest friends and one of his closest co-workers, Stephen, has just been martyred. In the beginning of chapter 8, if you look at the way the, the, the chapters are, are titled, in this Bible it says, Saul ravages the church. This isn't a good time, really, for Philip. So the guy who's supposed to go and be of rescue to the desolate eunuch who is returning from maybe a failed trip to Jerusalem, who is obviously seeking for something, the guy who's supposed to go rescue him is hurting as well. These aren't easy times for Philip. And so I look at this in these two verses, and I think we may have two desolate, sad men that we're talking about here. They're in a desolate place. Did you catch what it said in verse 26? Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south of the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And now it points out, this is a desert. It pointed it out. Luke, the author, wants people who don't know that road to know this is a desert. So we have then two desolate men 
in a desolate place. The one is the one who's supposed to be helping Philip. And the one, the Ethiopian eunuch, is the one that God once helped. And they're in the desert. My wife and I, let's go to the next slide, have worked in places that we could easily call desolate places. If you remember the beginning of our, our career, we went to the Uyghur people. Right? There was about 11 and a half million of them to 12 million of them. And a million and a half of them are in concentration camps right now. 99.9% of them have no knowledge of the gospel. Most of these people live well under the poverty line. Let me tell you, where the Uyghurs live is a desolate place. The Uyghurs themselves are desolate people. Not a lot of people care for the Uyghurs. So then Mike and Daniela go, right? Oh, great. The big old hope, Mike and Daniela. And if you remember our story, we lasted there four years, and what happened? We got kicked out. We got kicked out. And all of a sudden, we became a bit desolate. All of a sudden, all these grandiose plans we had for the Uyghurs, how we were just going to come in on our white horse and rescue the Uyghurs, and we were going to be the, the Uyghur hero, fell apart. Just four years. That's all it took. So all of a sudden, in that part of the world, you had a desolate people in a desolate land with a desolate Philip in someone like me, in someone like Daniela. So we moved on. Go to the next slide. And we went to Thailand. And in Thailand, we started working with Muslims in southern Thailand. And once again, a desolate area. We worked with these Muslims for most of these 10 years. And they have a horribly difficult life. They work in these rubber tree plantations for a total of a dollar a day. The World Bank says that a dollar 90 is the limit for extreme poverty. If you make less than a dollar 90 a day, you are in extreme poverty. They make a dollar a day. And they're lost. There's no gospel among them. They are a desolate people. And then there was this one evangelist who went there. He was a good friend of mine. His name was Hunter. He was from Mississippi. And he spoke their language beautifully in a way that I could never, ever learn to speak it. And he was doing what we all thought was miraculous stuff. And then God allowed him to have cancer. And he died last month. And Danielle and I are sitting back and looking at these desolate people in a desolate place, and we're kind of desolate about it. I know what you're saying. Where's this hope, Mike? Hold on. Let's go to the third slide. Our current work is mostly not only in Thailand, but it's in Iraq and Syria as well. As I said, I go back and forth with partners uh, relief and development to Iraq and Syria, to the war zones, and we work with uh, Kurds and Syrians there and another people group called the Yazidis. And this little girl, my goodness, she steals my heart every time. This little girl, I met her on a high mountain plain in Iraq. Uh, she and her mother 
had fled ISIS. They were on the way to becoming ISIS brides. And uh, we brought her food. And the two little smiling punks in the back, all right, tried to take her food. And she turned around with a roar of a lion, I promise you, and threatened them, said things I don't even understand, and I probably shouldn't understand. <laughs> and they backed off. And I took this picture right after, and I looked at her, and I was like, if she can get out of this camp, man, she's going to be a president. She's going to be... She's going to be a force to be reckoned with. But can she get out of that camp? I don't know. She has no education. She is just day-to-day whether she eats. She's filled with trauma from having been sold to an ISIS warrior. She's kind of a desolate person in a desolate landscape. And I left thinking, I can't believe all I can do is give her a month of food. I felt pretty desolate. Let's go to the next slide, because there actually is hope. The most amazing thing about Acts chapter 8 and the, the story of Philip to me is not that Philip met a eunuch in the desert. The most amazing part of that story is not that a eunuch traveled that far to get to Jerusalem. The most amazing part of the story to me was that one line, this is a desert place. Why is that amazing? Because as the passage continues, it says this, starting in verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he, the eunuch, said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer to be silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And here goes. The eunuch said to Philip, Whom does the prophet say this about? About himself or someone else? Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture. He told them the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. You see, if this was northeastern Pennsylvania, you wouldn't be shocked that they came to water. If this was Florida, If they didn't come to water, you'd be really worried. But the scripture pointed out that this was a desert. Luke wanted you to know this was a desert. The fact that there was water in the desert was a preordained miracle. It was an anomaly. And Luke was saying, you think it's hopeless? You think it's desolate? Let me tell you what happened. In the beginning of time, before this road was even there, before there even was in Ethiopia, before the city of Jerusalem was built up, before Philip was born, God, in his sovereignty, said, this place is going to need water for an amazing act where my guy Philip 
is going to baptize my Ethiopians. It's a miracle. That's what Luke is saying to us here. You thought this was a desert. But God, as he's forming the mountains, as he's forming the seas, as he's forming the rivers, in his preordained knowledge said, I want a river. I want a stream in that desert. Because that stream is hope. And this poor, desolate eunuch who was returning home without knowing what he had done, without knowing what any of it meant, after that long journey, saw hope. And my guess is that Philip, who had just seen his close friend and co-worker Stephen martyred, and who had just seen the church ravaged, as that passage said, saw that stream and said, oh, this is amazing. God brought me to a desert road to find water. That water was waiting for them there because God waits in desolate places with his kingdom planned. Let's go to the next slide. Let's get some hope into these stories. I'll have to do this quickly. But remember, we got kicked out. This is another Uyghur. We got kicked out over a decade ago from there. And desolate Philip or Mike didn't know what was going on. I was telling Pastor Mike about this yesterday. I think I was telling you about this. Right before we left to come here, I was talking with a friend that has connections with the Chinese underground church. And we were talking about this city that Daniela and I tried to move to, but we were blocked from moving there in that part of the world where the Uyghurs are. And we were so devastated by it, we didn't even know that we were going to get kicked out. We were so devastated by it because we thought, well, what's going to happen? How are they going to hear? Well, my friend told me that a member of the Chinese underground church went to that town and went to the mosque. And at the mosque, he met two imams. That's the name for a religious leader. And he was talking to them. These two imams quickly saw that he was a follower of Christ. And they fessed up to him. They said, you know what? We're brothers. Because we are Christians. And we have been for decades. And we sit here in front of the mosque every day. And when people come here to learn about Islam, we tell them about Jesus. And they listen. And Pastor Mike and I were laughing. We were saying, well, maybe, just maybe, God said, I'm not going to let Mike Riley go there because he's going to mess it up big time. <laughs> These two guys are the stream in the desert. These two guys were the ones that God said, I want someone in that town, before that town was named, before that province was named, before we knew how to pronounce the word Uyghurs, right? He said, I want someone in that town. I need a little river there for baptism and miracles. These two guys are it. That's hope. That's amazing. Let's go to the next slide. These are the Thai Muslims I was talking about, the ones who work in the rubber plantation and have such little hope, it seems. They love my wife, as you can see. This is, that's her, my wife's best friend in that village. And they cried forever after this picture. And I felt kind of cheap taking the picture, but I did it. Um, 
the biggest evangelist died, right, last month. And I couldn't figure out the purpose behind that. Because I couldn't figure out, you know, these desolate people are desolate in a desolate area. What, how, how does this work? Where's the hope? From Mississippi, they had his funeral. They recorded that funeral. They put it on YouTube. And it has, this, is, this still shocks me. It was all in Thai. And I didn't understand a thing. But it was passed from Muslim to Muslim to Muslim down in that village. They all heard the gospel in a much clearer way than I ever could or my friend ever could share it with them. Somehow, in God's plan, cancer was going to play into a little stream being in that desolate area. That's hope. Let's go to the, the next one. This is Abraham. No, he looks like Abraham from the Bible. It's not Abraham. This is a man in Iraq that I got to meet. In Iraq, you know, I've not been able to go back for, we're getting close to two years because of COVID. Um, it's been closed to me. That feels desolate. Feels desolate. Until I remember my staff in Iraq and Syria, these Christian men and women who love God, who said, Mike can't get back. That's all right. We got this. We can do it. And they're doing amazing things. They're feeding people on behalf of the churches in the United States that are sending this money. They're doing trauma care, Christian-based trauma care to victims of ISIS. They're rebuilding schools and clinics that ISIS blew up. And they're telling them, they're telling the people, you know how your imam said that Christianity is a bad religion? We are coming as Christians to rebuild your schools, to feed your people in the name of Christ. That's amazing. It's amazing to me that that river in that desolate place was designed by God way before I even heard of the country of Syria. That's hope. Can I show you one more hopeful picture? This lady right here, this will show you the extreme amount of hope. This lady right here um, was what we would have a few years ago called the worst of the worst. She's not an ISIS bride. She was ISIS. Um, she joined voluntarily. And, I mean, after Afghanistan and everything, it's hard to find a group that feels more repellent than ISIS, right? They're the ones we all fear. My staff took this picture in Syria because they've been with her every day. Every day as believers, as Christians, feeding her, bringing her medical supplies. And she said this. She said, I never knew Christians 
loved so well. An ISIS member in like the most desolate of deserts. In his foreordained plan, God had a river ready. That's the story to me of Philip and the eunuch. The fact that it was a desert with a stream in it. That's hope. So my final question as I close up here is, so what? What does that mean for us? And I have a couple things that I think it really, it, it really means for us, ways that we can make this practical. The first one is not lose hope. Yeah, Afghanistan sounds bad. Haiti sounds bad. I guarantee you that if you believe in an omniscient, omnipotent God, there are streams in that desert. I guarantee you that if your life right now feels desolate, feels like the desert that the eunuch is trying to come back to, and you feel like the eunuch where you say, this isn't working out. I don't get this. I don't get life. I've done all this stuff, and it's just nothing. It's a desert. I guarantee you that God will provide that stream. Because if God is a God of hope, and if God is an eternal God, that means you have eternal hope. That stream is there. I think the second point of application for us is this. If there is a desolate area, and if you can be sure that God has streams in those desert areas like he did with Philip and the eunuch, you shouldn't run from those desolate areas. You shouldn't hide from them. You shouldn't drive around those areas of town that seem desolate and barren and dry. You should engage them. You should engage them. If there's a part of town that you drive around because you think it's a bad part of town, it's desolate, it needs a river. And maybe you are that stream that years and years ago, God said, you know what? That place needs a stream. If there is an area of the world that's desolate, like Afghanistan, if you're sitting back and you're saying, there's no hope for Afghanistan, I challenge you to figure out how you can be part of the hope for Afghanistan, because I guarantee you, you can be part of the hope for Afghanistan. I guarantee you, you can. It only takes, this is amazing. We have some of our staff there on the borders feeding refugees already, African refugees, and it only takes $50 to feed a family for a month. It's not that hard to be hope. It's not that hard to be that stream that they need. Maybe that desolate, dark, desert area is closer to home. Maybe it's family that you love that is just gone. Uh, maybe not in contact. Engage those desolate areas. Because God waits in desolate areas with his kingdom plans, with his dreams. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, for all these desolate areas, the Syrias, the Myanmars, the Afghanistans, the Iraqs, the Hades, 
And thank you, God, that you have put streams in those areas, that in your foreordained, omnipotent knowledge, you knew they needed a stream. Thank you for doing that. We're so grateful that at times, dear Father, we can be that stream, and we just pray your blessing upon us. We pray your blessing upon Grace Bible Church, because in the desolate times in Danielle and in my life, Grace Bible Church has been that stream for us, and we're so grateful for that. We love you. We give you the honor and glory in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.